of the world welcome to one foot in the podcast with your miserable git of a host me tom well would you believe it i didn't mean to say that, actually that's a, a unintentional uh catchphrase quote but another series almost finished with the with the exception of the christmas special which proceeds but if, it does feel like only last week that i kick-started the show and, and didn't think i'd get past one episode um given my knack of being a lazy bastard half the time and not finishing things in life what I've started like you know ideas and projects or you know the washing up but here I am most of the reason I keep going is down to the fact that people do actually download the podcast according to the statistics I keep an eye on obviously might not be getting the listenership that other fan sitcom podcasts are getting although they're more established but it is early days and we have discussed that you know the the demographic of listener may not be a podcast kind of guy girl there doesn't seem to be a young generation of one-foot listeners out there. I could be wrong. I'm sure there's a few of you, but generally speaking, it feels like us in our mid-30s and onwards are probably the age range, uh, the youngest, that is, um, as an average. That said, you peeps who do download, this is, uh, this is you're simply the best. So thank you. Thank you so much. Series 3 and beyond will we'll bring a little more interaction to the show in the way of guests. I know a couple of you have uh, inquired about it, and I'm really flattered that you um, want to give up your time. So something I'm definitely going to be looking into more and more. I'm going to be using my uh, my brother as a guinea pig just to try and work out how you know how technology works. All being well, I can start to have a chat with a few of you and get to get you on the show. There's nothing I like more than you know to share the internet airways with other fans too. I become well and truly used to talking to myself. But it's a nice feeling knowing that there's a few of you that uh, download, so thanks very much. So what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about um, episode 6 of series 2, Timeless Time. And when I did a rewatch, I I remembered how much I adored this particular episode. I think this is the strongest episode by far uh, in Wamp in the Grave. Um, it's not my overall favourite. I don't know, it could well be in my top 5, but it's not number 1. But... Two series in, and it's superb. It's one of two episodes that is filmed in just one scene. And to pull off a whole episode where you are just in the same room is genius, especially as it's, especially as there's so many hilarious moments as well. Like, it's so creative of Renwick. And Annette Crosby and Richard Wilson are absolutely on fire for this episode. The other episode where there's, there's just pretty much one scene which well, it's not strictly true one scene but filmed in more than one room and that would be the trial which comes much later in the series and that involves just Richard Wilson but look at IMDB and I'm doing a review of a show of an episode of One Foot and I look at the cast list and usually there's you know about eight to a dozen cast members and then of course looking at Timeless Time it's just Richard Wilson and Nick Crosby uh, it's quite peculiar. It's quite bizarre to see. I think this feels like the turning point for Victor in his pursuit of moaning and finding life difficult. He's had many, uh, many moments already so far, but it just feels like the show is well and truly evolving already. Right at the end of series two, it's a different feel. Uh, I don't think there's been at this point in 1990 there's been many episodes of a sitcom where it's featured in just one room. I know you've had like Steptoe and Son 
in the in the mid to late sixties, and that was often in just in the front living room. But this is in nineteen ninety, middle aged couple in bed, and it shouldn't be that that hilarious, but it 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 just works. Um, and you you put it down to two things: obviously the writing and the superb acting, and I love it. Rather than warble on as I do, I'm just going to go straight into, and I would usually say scene one, and I could say scene one, but that's where we'll stay. What I'm going to do is just crack on and let's get down to the episode. Well, we're opening up with a bird's eye view, I'd say, of Victor and Margaret in bed, and Victor's tossing and turning. Margaret looks like she's quite still and trying her best to get to sleep. How many of you out there have had nights like this where you just, well, you can't get to sleep, uh, your, your mind's buzzing, there's numerous distractions outside of the home. Um, it's just one of those hideous things that happens once in a blue moon. Apart from those of you who have insomnia, uh, it's every so often we do get nights like this. And this episode is going to focus on a typical sleepless night. But I like the episode titled Timeless Time because... I think the most important thing to know here is that this is minute by minute live, minute by minute real time, which I, th- I think is quite a really interesting concept. And I think it resonates well with the audience because they're living th- through literally every moment of this moment in Victor and Margaret's lives, whereas usually, obviously, it's scene by scene, take by or cut by cut. Time doesn't properly, or time doesn't really exist in that sense. But with this episode, Timeless Time, you're seeing every single... <laughs> moment and every single bit of thought process it's nothing worse when you're trying to get to sleep and the person next to you is fidgeting (laughs) try counting something yes i tried counting my blessings (laughs) well that didn't take very long (laughs) margaret says straight away try counting something has that ever worked for anyone i think that's all that was saying trying count sheep Who's who has a photo of a field full of sheep? Well, I don't know what tips you guys have got if you just can't sleep. I think these days it's getting getting your phone out and watching something on uh, YouTube. Or not many of us read a book in bed these days. So I could be wrong, but I think that's what your go-to device if you can't sleep is staring at a screen all night, which is a bit ironic. Victor' first line of dialogue is sarcasm. Bloody fitted sheets! They never stay put. Look at this. Three times I wiped my nose in this thinking it was a handkerchief. <laughs> I make the bed tomorrow. I use a staple gun. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I, I, just, I just watched it back. It's just a simple line in there. I'll count my blessings. Well, that didn't take very long. Any, uh, sorry, listeners, I'm already cracking up. It's, it's already, already making me uh, chuckle. He's turned over and... He's moaning about the fitted... I don't know why this is so funny. The fitted sheet. I think it's just... It's one of those tiny little bit piece of detail that Renwick's really good at um, putting into his scripts where these little things get on all our nerves and it's just funny that it's brought to life he, by the simple fact that his fitted sheet isn't fitted. <laughs> and I've I've been there several times. I think the quality of... God, this is, this is taking a... This podcast is taking a turn for the absolute worst because I was just going to say that fitted sheets these days are quite good. They fit. But I f- it felt like when I was growing up, they would never fit. <laughs> Whether it's the fitted ones or the loose ones, they just come apart halfway through the night. 
But that is one thing that is definitely irritating Victor at this point. And he says, uh, <laughs> I'm really sorry, listeners. I, I usually keep it together. Like, I'll be truthful. Like, I've, I did mention I, I've reviewed this episode, but I'm watching it live as I record this. So I'm, I'm watching segments and, and feeding back, but that's why I'm laughing as I go. <clears throat> but he made a really great comment that um, he's three times he's wiped his, <laughs> wiped his nose in the sheets. <laughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry. Um, and you can imagine him doing such a thing. I don't know why. So anyway, he proceeds to say, um, when I make the bed tomorrow, I'll uh, use a staple gun, which I think, to be fair, could work. Although they has its dangers, has its risks, um, may well have resolved the matter. <laughs> Poor old Margaret. I mean, she's trying the hardest to get to sleep and... Victor's one of these people that, if they get a bit stressed, they instantly feel unwell. And he's just said that he's got a stomachache. And Margaret says, whereabouts? And he quite rightly responds with sarcasm. You know, whereabouts in my left earlobe? Um, but I, I knew what Margaret meant. I guess she's just trying to get to sleep and is probably quite sleepy herself. Um, but, yeah, it, another instant bit of sarcasm from uh, Rich, from Victor. Victor speculates that um, his bad belly is down to here. Margaret's mother's cooking. We haven't had Margaret's mother reference for a couple of episodes. Um, and it's apparently some pasta dish. Uh, and she got a, a recipe from a magazine in Italian, apparently. And Victor says it turned out to be the cast list of The Godfather. I wonder if Italian dishes like pasta-related foods were such a big deal in 1990 because... It's one of those dishes that you can't go wrong with, really. You can undercook the pasta, overcook the pasta, a bit of cheese, tomato sauce, chuck in a few veg. It's You can't go wrong with it, so I can't quite work out why this would be a dodgy dish that's likely to give you an upset stomach. Fair enough, raw fish and sushi, an underdone egg, but I can't see how that an Italian dish would cause that kind of well any, any food can but that kind of food isn't known to give you a dodgy stomach i don't think but victor is a hypochondriac and i suppose in 1990 perhaps italian food was only just coming on the scene in britain i'm sure people have passed the years before that but it's long since been for the last at least in my lifetime a common thing to have of a of an evening so anyway margaret encourages him just to relax empty your mind of all your thoughts and just try and sleep and victor just for once, takes that advice and he lasts for about five seconds before he's trying to remember the name of a film. He's very specific with the type of film he's trying to recall. I think he's trying to remember the name of Freddy Krueger because he describes uh, someone slashing your face through your bed your bed sheets, or not your bed sheets, but through the bed all over your face. And Margaret thinks he's on about a bridge too far. Margaret thinks he's on about Hardy Krueger. And I just thought she got the name wrong, but shame on me. It is a very old actor, Franz Kruger, otherwise known as, and he's 92. And I don't know how, I, I think Margaret just got the names mixed up with Freddy, I assume. Unless there is some link with that that particular actor and the film Freddy Kruger used his name in honour of him, I don't know. Someone have to correct me on that. Margaret seemingly is well on the way to falling asleep now. Victor does that thing that is so irritating, where you're the person trying to get to sleep, and the person actually says, 
Are you asleep? Are you asleep? And he raises his voice to the point she wakes up. And poor old Margaret is well away then. A little bit selfish from Vic there. But anyway, he doesn't actually get anywhere with waking her up by simply calling out her name. So to, I assume, wind her up, because this is an ongoing joke throughout the series. I think I might buy one of those sweaters tomorrow that Noel Edmonds wears. You do and I'll kill myself. <laughs> Victor threatens to buy one of those Noel Edmonds sweaters. I wonder if Renwick's got an indirect hatred for Noel because this is a recurring theme with Victor's choice of clothing and it always winds up Margaret. Victor, this is where it starts to really kick off now this episode because this is going to be a series of interruptions to their night's sleep or attempted sleep Victor thinks he can hear something further down the road um, and he describes it as a hooting sound we think obviously an owl <laughs> Margaret just casually says it's probably Mrs Stibbings from down the road and you think what kind of noise is a human making at that kind of night what's the situation there so Victor goes up to look out the the uh, bedroom window no it's that baby owl I told you about the other night sitting person at telephone wires Look at him, perched right over my car roof. <laughs> you just dare, matey boy. <laughs> He's thinking about it, you can tell. They will do. If you keep staring at him, you'll make him nervous. Well, why don't they spatter someone else's car? Why is it always mine? <laughs> well, it is actually a baby owl perched on the telephone wires, conveniently over Victor's car. Now, because I watch this live, I'm, make, I'm commenting as I go, so I'll probably be correcting myself along along the way. But I always thought that it wasn't an owl perched over his the sunroof of his car, that it was cats, which I'm sure it is later on in the episode. Victor makes a comment that, why is it always my car that gets splattered with crap? And that's the same with my car. I think It obviously happens to most of us, but I don't often see bird crap or owl crap, whatever that may look like on many cars it just seems like unless people just i assume clean their cars regularly and i don't but i think that's what it is victor's given a running commentary to the owl that's seemingly getting ready to uh, crap all over his car and it does followed by the car alarm going off any second now he's definitely going to there Which is uh, amazing visuals. The orange flashlight illuminating their room, probably waking half the neighbourhood. Victor makes a comment that they were supposed to fix this uh, problem they've got with the oversensitive alarm. Twice he's been into the garage, and I wonder if it's the actor Nick Maloney plays the car mechanic. A continuation of the issue he had in series one with his car, where Nick Maloney, the actor uh, who plays two different characters in one foot in the grave uh, was responsible for this who knows i wouldn't be surprised if that's a, a clever little link up from renwick's writing i'm just trying to keep a tally as i go it's three different moans he's had he's had the fitted sheet moan uh trying different type of food moan so italian food and now car mechanics one foot in the grave does help you in a way it was almost like therapy where the main character's moaning about these little t small things in life that really irritate us and it's done so well that I think that's part of the success of this show. Victor walks out of the bedroom into the bathroom. Victor makes a point of saying that <laughs> that's the last rationings I hand out. No more bits of toast for the birds if they're going to just end up crapping on his car. He goes out, like I said, he goes out of the room into, I assume, the bathroom. It's a 
an angle I've not seen from their room before. We're at the end of their bed. Margaret's sat up wiping her nose and there's a bit of silence and quite an unexpected line comes out from Victor. What's this packet of Bisto doing in here? (laughs) What? What's this packet of Bisto doing in the medicine cabinet? How do I know what it's doing? I can't even see it. He says, what's this packet of Bisto? (laughs) What's this packet of Bisto doing in the... uh... In the bathroom cabinet, and that's it. That's this. That's that, I don't think that's referenced again. There's a packet of gravy in, in your bathroom cabinet. I can't think how what reason that would end up in your bathroom cabinet, but I just think it's not supposed to. Be, I don't think that's supposed to be hilarious. That line just more weird, but sometimes Richard Wilson's delivery just it does tickle me. Recording as I go has been something I've done a little bit more and more. I've not laughed like this. I think I remember why this is one of my favourites. It's quite a meaningful episode, but definitely the funniest by far. That's superb. And it's not referenced again. He comes back in and continue, continues his whinge about the mechanic. This is just an episode of rants about life's, like I said, annoyances. He goes from one topic to the other. Now he's talking about why uh, when he's doing the washing up, no matter what, how much you've done, or if you think you've completed it, there's always a teaspoon at the bottom. Even if you've not used a teaspoon, I I agree. There's always a teaspoon if you if unless you've got a dishwasher. If you're doing a little bit of hand washing up just to get by, there's always that one little item at the bottom. It's just these little things that happens to all of us. That's no biggie. It's no big deal, but it's enough to piss us off in the moment. This is hard to keep up. As re- reviewing this episode is a challenge. It's, it might be one scene, but Victor is on a roll. With he, he's gone from fitted bed sheets. Italian cuisine, owl shit, Bisto in the uh, bathroom cabinet to washing up. And now he's about to cover quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe. Guys, it's hard to keep up. Give a podcaster a break, you know. It is going to go a bit, a little bit deep now, which is one of the wonders of this sitcom. Happy then solemn, happy then solemn. It's why it's a classic. All the classic sitcoms out there have this ability and one foot in the grave is no different and victor is just pondering and he says out loud life and death and he's and he mentions two people i got admit i hadn't heard of and he, and he proceeds with mike hope and albie keen and they were a british comedy double act probably i should know this but i don't i didn't know who they were he interrupts himself and asks margaret where are they these days? We never did hear any more of them, so I don't know if they just went off into oblivion, they just disappeared, never came back onto our screens. I don't even know if they're alive anymore. Proceeding the Mike Hope and Albie King comment, which came to nothing, he's, he really is getting a little bit deep now, and he a little monologue speech about time, uh, which is part of this title of this episode. And he, and he says, whilst he's working out, whilst in the post office queue the other day, a little reference said to the fact he's probably collecting his pension and reminding us that he is an old age pensioner now. And he got a little dig in there about post office clerks who spend their time twirling elastic rubber bands. And I haven't been to a post office counter for some years, but I do recall the magic of a massive ball of rubber, rubber bands. Anyway, it's me going off on a tangent. And Victor is just saying, well, I think ha- having that conversation we have with ourselves in our head about time, it's quite a depressing topic in a way because he's just confirming to us what we already know, that time passes us by without realising it. Anything we experience now 
by the sheer thought of that, it's already in the past, and so on. It's better if I just play the clip, to be honest with you. Time. When you think about it, nothing ever exists, in fact. I was working this out in the post office as I was waiting for that woman to finish twanging her elastic bands. <laughs> the future doesn't exist because it hasn't happened yet. The past doesn't exist because it's already over. But the present doesn't exist because as soon as you start to think about it, it's already in the past. <laughs> Which doesn't exist anymore. Like that moment just then when I said that. That's already in the past. <laughs> Gone forever. And so is that. And I just said, Gone forever. <laughs> And so is that when I said it says that. That's gone forever now as well. And so is that. When I said that's gone forever now as well, that's gone forever now as well. Although it was obvious, he does have a valid point. We are all guilty in one way or another of not making the most of the present. But as soon as the present happens, it becomes the past instantly. And it can get a little bit... That can get a little bit... Of, it's a bit scary in a way. In Jonathan Creek, there's an episode, Time Waits for Norman, and it's all about a character who is fearful of time passing by to the extent that he doesn't allow any second hands on any of the clocks in his home. And he's absolutely petrified of the idea of time passing away. And he's. I think this also occurs in a later episode with in a Christmas special, actually, with a chap who is obsessed with time, but... Something we'll review another uh, at another time. So Victor goes on to repeat himself that everything he's just spoken about is in the past and how that there is in the past and so on and so on. And it's just irritating the hell out of Margaret. Well, at the end of Victor's little... Uh, I don't want to call it a rant, but I use the word bewilderment at the idea of time passing you by and you cannot do anything about it, even though you've just finished a sentence and it's already in the past. For about the fifth or sixth time of giving an obvious example to, to a sleeping or an attempted to sleep Margaret, she lets out an absolute classic. It's definitely a catchphrase. It just doesn't get as much credit as I don't believe it. And it's not just what she says. It's how Annette Crosby delivers her utter contempt for Victor keeping her up. Oh, for God's sake, will you shut up, Victor? <laughs> Shabbering on there all the why, like a rabid parrot. <laughs> Victor asks, what time is it? Are we in the single European market yet? Shows how old this show is now. A uh, bit slightly political from uh, Victor there. We learn from Margaret that it is, in fact, quarter past three in the morning. For me, if it gets past one one thirty, and I've not gone to sleep, I probably won't get to sleep till nearer three or four in the morning because... My mind's just giving up on the the idea of ever getting to sleep. And also the fear of going to bed or going to sleep so late, if you, especially if you're up early in the, in the morning, that you're going to feel like you're hungover, even though you haven't drunk. And that is, you just put a lot of pressure on yourself at that point. So for me, it has to be no later than one. Although having a, a young daughter now, I try and get as much sleep as I can because I am up in the mornings, half five, six o'clock lately. So I definitely want to be in bed asleep by 11 half 11 I mean Victor and Margaret they're a I say a retired couple Margaret still has work to go to I think I, I get the impression she's probably part time but not happy that Victor quite selfishly is 
kept her up now. She's she's switched on the light. I've just noticed the telephone by the bed that is exactly the same as the one my grandparents owned. Another link with my uh, grandparents there. Who I did say is this show is done in honour of them for their sheer love of all things One Foot in the Grave. I was saying earlier that the best way to probably get back to sleep is to read or keep your mind active and not to go on your smartphone or whatever it is you might have now. Back then you wouldn't have had that opportunity. So Margaret gets out a crossword. Margaret says to Victor that she saw an old friend of Victor's, Charlie Maysfield. So an old friend of yours today came into the shop with a wilting hibiscus. Charlie Maysfield? Oh, yes. I haven't seen him in ages. How's he getting on? He's fine. Did he ask how I was? No. <laughs> well, not as such. What do you mean, not as such? Well, he seemed to be under the impression you were dead. <laughs> this can only happen to Victor. It's not that he didn't ask after Victor. It's the fact that he thought Victor was dead. It's, it's funny to hear that. It's the sort of thing that could only happen to Victor. He runs into bad luck. Again, it's not just the things he does in life that gets him into trouble, but it's what other people perceive of him or automatically assume so. And it, was it the case that this person thought he was dead because he's not that relevant in his life? Or did he just hear a rumour? It seems quite sad that they thought that of him, even if it's just innocently played. But it, it's funny to us, the viewer, but if you are real-life Victor Meldry, you're a little bit oh, taken aback by that. This is like another sign to say that you are old now, even though they're not ancient. When you're watching this as a kid, like I was, they did seem old old because they're the same age as my grandparents at the time of filming but you will you look back now and they're barely 60. Nice to hear that Margaret references the fact that she had quite an argument about the fact that this chap thought he was dead because he didn't believe her which is which is it's funny it's bizarre you're gonna argue with someone's wife that <laughs> that their husband is definitely dead what are you talking about so it's nice to hear Margaret sticking up for what quite rightly as well but it's nice to hear that she actually went out of way to have an argument with him about it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> one of those things where One Foot in the Grave does, it, does this a lot. It allows you to envisage what that conversation would have been like and you get to see a live reaction from Victor Meldrew, which is always comedy gold. The difficulty with watching this episode or reviewing this episode as well is very little, very little happens. There is things that will happen. But they're just to help the guide the episode along. There isn't a plot. This is this is very tricky to review. So, if you're still listening to this episode, thank you for uh, for remaining loyal. Anyway, Margaret decides to make a milky drink because that's what you do if you can't sleep. Although, would it be a milky drink? Would it be called latte flat white? I don't know what point they change the names of coffees. To me, it's filter coffee cappuccino at best you have a coffee either black or white it's a moan that i could it's a rant i could have because uh half the, i still don't know what most coffees are when i if i'm in a coffee shop victor calls out and suggests putting a drop of rum in it rum in milk he seemed like he was serious but i don't think that's i'm sure that would curdle am i right i don't know disgusting though Victor contemplates reading 
a book and he sees a couple of books on Margaret's dress-up table. The first one he picks up says A Brief History of Time, links in with the title of the show. And the other one, a completely different type of book, The Complete Autobiography of Reg Varney from On the Buses. The link with Reg Varney here from the last episode, like I said, there's always something linked from the last episode, even if it's as subtle as this, is Stephen Lewis in the last episode who played Vince. He was obviously in On the Buses. So that's that's so far the only link I can make. I know what I could do. I could open last year's Christmas present from Ronnie and Mildred. <laughs> to dearest Victor, just a little something to wish you a Merry Christmas and a prosperous 1990 from Ronnie and Mildred. No, I'm not that bored yet. <laughs> Ronnie Mildred, I mentioned again. How much do they dislike them to not open a Christmas present? It must be so irritating for them, well, for Victor himself to not open a present. But he stops himself at the last minute, saying he's not that bored. After deciding to not open the present from Ronnie Mildred, Victor's doing a bit of tinting around the ho- around the bedroom whilst he's waiting for Margaret to bring up a drink. And this involves uh, trying to straighten the photo frame above their bed. I can't make out what it is from this shot. He spends a few moments trying to straighten up and it's okay. He gets a phone call and that is a terrifying thing to have after 11 o'clock at night. Four two nine one. What? Yes, it is straight. <laughs> what do you mean not from where you're standing? <laughs> You can't see from right across the road, I know. Hey, what are you doing up at this time of the... Oh, can't you? Yes, I'm sorry about that. They were supposed to have fixed it, but you know what it's like with garages. So he's taking the call, and it's the neighbour across the road somehow can see through their window. It's going out of the way to tell him that the photo frame is, in fact, not straight. That was unbelievable. If that were to happen in real life... Not just someone calling to be that nosy and that uh, interfering, but calling at gone at 3.30 in the morning. And Victor quite rightly says, what are you doing up at this hour? It comes straight back at him to clearly clearly state that it's he that's woken them up because of the car alarm going off. Margaret comes up with the drinks and says that they're out of milk, so it's powdered stuff and they have no, no more rum. Can someone tell me if rum mixed in with a milky drink is a thing? I just, that's the most, those two drinks mixed together, that concoction seems the least likely pairing (coughs) of drinks that I've ever heard. That's worse than any Dill Boy exotic cocktail. Meldry's often referenced things that come through the door, freebies. I think they mentioned that at the end of, or the start of this series in in Luton Airport, no one can hear you scream, where Victor um, was absolutely gobsmacked that there's burnt down house had had mail through the letterbox including some spicy sauces and margaret's just said the powdered drink they got was something that was sent through the door along with some shampoo products that she's dried on her hair and it's established that the powdered drink is obviously nasty when i watch these episodes half the time you're, you're picking out references they make where they're having a dig at society or things that happen in society, including the, the types of things that come through your front door. 
and the reasons why they come through your front door. The Mildred decide to ha have another crack at going to sleep. The lights are turned back off now. <laughs> oh, oh, God, my legs started twitching now. <laughs> I wondered when that was going to happen. Oh, shaking about like a Morris dancer. <laughs> All you need to do is put a couple of bells in the end of it. Oh, I can't stop it. It's always the same when my muscles get tense. Here we go. Ministry of Silly Walks. <laughs> oh. Oh. No uh, Mar Margaret puts it down to the fact he doesn't get enough exercise. Margaret's lecturing it, Victor as he goes to the bathroom, comes back and she says, you know, you sit around all day, you're getting tense, you need to basically exercise a lot more, now you're a, a pensioner. I think what happen what's happened here is Victor has not just got a twitch in his leg, he's got cramp, but he hasn't, I don't think he's referenced cramp. There's a brilliant visual here, He's he's gone back to bed and he's holding his left leg high up in the air actually falls asleep ironically he's able to get to sleep just for a short moment right before his car alarm goes off again And he's just fallen asleep. It's just, just their luck. More distractions of this night. You actually feel a little bit tense in this in this moment because now Margaret's got up and she's concerned because you know you don't want to be waking up your neighbours at any hour, let alone with the sound of a car alarm. And he's just trying to switch it off with the remote key, and it's just not working. It's you are a little bit like, come on, Victor, come on. Just to make matters worse, the battery's gone in his key, so he has to get his slippers on and go outside to the bonnet and switch it off that manually. Sigh of relief when the alarm is switched off. Margaret goes back into bed. She's left the window wide open as well as the curtains, which does my head in. First thing I'll be doing is shutting that, but uh, I don't know if it's supposed to... I think it's just a mistake or not, but you would think you'd close that after that incident. Probably... I might have said this already, probably my favourite part of the episode now. Victor's come back in, still reeling from the mechanic. And Margaret, in the dark, spots that he's wearing something that doesn't rem that doesn't resemble a slipper. She switched on, switched on the light. Victor, what on earth's that you've got on your foot? Yeah. And the big reveal is he's got his foot in a, I think it's a hedgehog, a dead hedgehog, obviously. Uh, yeah, again, another dead animal makes it to one foot in the grave. But the the best thing about, I don't know what's funny, because this can only happen to someone like Victor Marjorie, just absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what 
kind of clumsy. I see. I, I don't know what. I just don't know what kind of person would do this because he's the same guy. His his vision, I assume, is okay. But I, yeah, I don't know if that's the sight is funny, although a bit disgusting, or the noise that Annette Crosby lets out. I've always said I think her her little catchphrasey whinge moans are equally as funny. The BBC had numerous complaints when the dead cat in the freezer first made its appearance in series one and i think this is a wonderful way of one from the grave sticking a middle finger up at ridiculous complaints victor gets the rotten hedgehog off his foot and chucks the poor little bleeder out the window not the best send off and as as he chucks it out we hear a, a meow and, and victor jives back at it saying it serves you right for sitting on my car he seems to be at war with everyone, including non-humans. Absolutely disgusting view of Victor sat on the bed with his foot put up on a, a rest and Margaret proceeds to clean it off. It's just a manky looking foot right now. I'm starting to think I should have called this one foot in the hedgehog and that would have been such a, a niche title. Very specific to one moment in the whole show. And I, I don't know. I don't know if many of you would have got that. I'm sure you would have actually. If you listen to this, you're probably a huge fan because I think this has had it, this this show had its cult following. So maybe you guys would have got it. Victor, in an exhausted manner, says he was just getting off to sleep before the car alarm went off for the second time. Bear in mind he had his leg up in the air, and he says that he was he had a dream that, and this is like ten seconds, and he had a dream that the entire Loch Ness was empty to check for any monsters, and that right at the bottom of the the lock was a huge teaspoon referencing his anguish for teaspoons being discovered at the bottom of washing up bowls. I know that you can sleep for very short periods of time and dream, but that really was. I mean, this is like, this is like a real time. This is half an hour with the Meldrews, and he's fell, fell asleep for about 10 seconds. If that really can happen, we can dream that much in 10 seconds. That's quite remarkable, but I think it's a little continuity error, potentially. All for the sake of a gag, though, I know. I've got to say, Margaret's not done the best job of cleaning Victor's foot. It's still green, grey, mouldy looking. And she does say she's got the worst of it off. And he goes to the bathroom. I think he's just gone to the toilet, so he's not even properly cleaned it off. You'd be getting, you'd be putting your foot in a bucket of bleach, practically, I think. Now the Maldries are back in bed, Victor start, initiates another conversation. And this time, it's quite a, uh, unexpected. Do you remember the first time we ever slept together? How could I forget? That bloody dripping tap. <laughs> that kept us awake half the night, if you recall. You hogged the bed. I've mentioned throughout the series there seems to be like a very subtle link from the previous episode. And so far there's just been the Reg Varney element, Stephen Lewis. Do you remember when we first slept together? You think they're going to talk about something quite heartwarming? Uh, Margaret obviously responds with, how could I forget? And Victor just is making a point that there was a dripping tap that kept them up all night during that occasion. So he's, I think they're just thinking this is the last time we had the crappy night like, like this is when we, possibly when we first met, but probably not the last time, but he feels obliged to reference it anyway. It's quite nice to have a little insight into what life was like when they first got together. And it sounds not too dissimilar to how they are now. It reminisces that Victor used to hog the bed and used to suck his thumb and sometimes suck her thumb at some nights, which is a little bit almost graphic. Victor just can't remember this at all and it's getting a little bit irate because she would talk about how he used to snore and used to sing in his sleep. And yeah, he's getting a little bit touchy at this point, possibly because he just cannot remember. And if your memory's tested, 
it could be a little bit alarming for you if you just cannot recall certain moments of your life that you think you should be cherishing. That's my guess anyway, why he's getting touchy, not just that he's been accused of snoring in bed. Oh, God. There it is. Can you hear it? The rattle of distant milk bottles. <laughs> That's the beginning of the end now. I might as well get up and put the kettle on. Hear the s- slight rattle of milk bottles and Victor's a little bit dreading the fact that it's close to the next morning. He says it's like he says it's the beginning of the end. One could read into that sentence, the beginning of the end, where Victor's concerned. This is the end of the series two. He's at an end stage of his life, just in a mode of deep thinking. Can you imagine if the history books had been written the same way as the newspapers are written? 1215, King John signs the Magna Carta. 1216, King John showed a shapely anchor when the wind blew up his cloak at Runnymede, sparking off rumours that he might be in a super new low-calorie diet. <laughs> Potty Pankhurst at it again. The slaughter of the innocents. No British babies believed to be involved. Because he references the slaughter of the innocents, this instantly um, is a bit of a reveal, actually. The biggest and most shocking reveal in this series so far, probably of the entire series. It's been a bit of a mystery up until now what extended family they have, apart from various aunts and uncles that are mentioned. Solemn music is playing in the in the background and Victor immediately apologises after referencing British babies and, and essentially death, or the word slaughter. And he apologises profusely to Margaret. Um, and we reveal that they in fact had a child. I think I'll just play the clip, actually, from the moment he apologises, because I can't really do it justice with how they remember their tragic time in their life. And you know it's going to be something quite deep because Victor acknowledges that he's opened his mouth one too many times and he instantly regrets what he said. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking. Sorry. Earthling on as usual. The first thing that came into my head, you don't know what you're saying. I know. I do it myself sometimes. I was thinking about him just this morning, funnily enough. Running into Guinness outside the post office with Michael. She had him just the four days before, if you remember. She was coming out of hospital just as I was going in. He's still working for that insurance company. They're talking about moving him to his own branch up north somewhere. She'll miss him. She never had any others. He'd just bought his mum an ice cream, and then he was going to run her up to the doctor's. It doesn't seem five minutes since it was the other way round. I always think of Stuart when I see him. God, he's enormous now. His eldest girl's just starting at the secondary. I wonder what he would have gone into. I wonder if he'd have gone into insurance. Not if I did my way. You make so many plans for your life when you're young. I don't know what I imagined I'd be doing when I was 55. (laughs) Seemed like so far in the future it had never happened. A year was an eternity when you were a child. The time between one Christmas and the next. 
Yes, about two months now. <laughs> Draping tinsel over the Easter eggs before long. <laughs> Why can't they let you live your life at your own speed? And we sort of cut straight into Margaret recollecting how she was thinking of him this morning. And we don't know at this stage exactly what they mean, or exactly who she means. She saw her friend Glynis with her son Michael, a long time, a long time friend, and that she was with uh, Michael. As she states that she was thinking of him this morning, and we're thinking, who's this him? And she reminds Victor that Glynis had Michael four days before Margaret had, now assume, uh, a baby. I think this is triggered by the fact that Michael, this Michael, who's uh, son of their friend Glynis, would have been exactly the same age as Victor and Margaret's son. So, of course, they can see, Margaret can see for herself a vision of what it would have been like for her son because they both work for the same company, so the same age of good friends. And it's really sad, actually, uh, for everything that happens in Victor and Margaret's life, that one thing that's missing, and which could be partly the reason why Victor is the way he is, I suppose. Only partly, of course, it's, it is his personality and he's been dealt a, a rubbish hand with early retirement, but they both have for life through the loss of a of a child. And this is where One Foot in the Grave really hits you. you know, it's out, out of nowhere, out of the blue. And you do wonder, and I wondered when I first started recording these episodes, I, I just couldn't recall a conversation about their, their children. I've said several times now, it's one of these episodes where this conversation I think went over my head as a young lad and I hadn't seen this episode for quite some time so it's one of those I I had heard that they had a had a kid I didn't know you know he died and he just I think I just assumed that he was just never mentioned for whatever dark reason and that was that I I hadn't I didn't realize he'd passed away but um Oh, there was obviously some reason I didn't know, but I just couldn't believe I couldn't recall this specific conversation. But like I said, it's been many, many years since I watched some of these episodes. So from this conversation, it you can just see the acting's marvellous, actually. Annette Crosby is living through her friend's son's life, if you like. She's, it really is what your son is doing now, our son could also be doing, you know, successful uh, insurance broker it's a little bit of comic relief where margaret wonders what their son would be doing now perhaps he might have gone into insurance as well uh, victor said not if i had anything to do with it but i think they were doing a similar kind of job when they were younger anyway and then there's the reveal of the name uh stewart she goes i always think of stewart when i see him it's a perfect name for, for the Meldrews offspring. If Stuart Meldrew goes quite well, the type of name that you can imagine that he would choose. I don't know why, it just seems to click quite quite nicely. To add to the, the tears, I suppose, Margaret's also saying how this Michael's, he's got kids himself, and therefore they would have been grandparents at this stage. Yeah, she's really invested in, she's almost, it's almost like therapy for Margaret, this, the way she's updating Victor on the goings-on of, you know, a friend. I, I guess... On any other occasion, Victor might be sarcastically quipping, but this is a different matter, and they're both led there. The first time in this episode, looking quite relaxed, definitely solemn, talking about the death of a child. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine. It's a little reminder to us that Margaret is age fifty-five, as she points out that when you're young, you're making all these plans, and she didn't know when she was young that what she'd be doing at age 55 again the topic of time comes up more than relevant since it's the title but uh, the fact that you know from one christmas to the other felt like an age when you're a, you're a kid and actually victor does pipe up with bunny quips and says it's more like 
two months in between Christmas now, and they may as well be decorating Easter eggs with tinsel, which I thought was quite quite nice. A bit of light-heartedness coming into play. Life as a young person, well, of a certain generation, just goes so slowly. But I disagree. I think, depending on what your vision of young is, or what, you, what your definition of young is, I just think it goes so quick. I think she is on, on about if you're a, a child. And it, it's hard to, to tell how old uh, Stuart was when he passed away, but by the sounds of it, he was a child, because she's talking about when she was a child what she envisaged life would be like when she's older and of course she's on about how or what Stuart might be doing now so one can only uh, assume he was quite young much like how the topic of this quite tragic conversation started it's ended quite abruptly not abruptly but more subtly into something totally different with the distraction of a bird singing it's now light outside oh god I knew it wouldn't be long before he started that bloody sparrow. <laughs> What's he got to be up so early for? Shut up! <laughs> to Victor's dismay, it's that bloody sparrow. The ending, it's not, it's, I don't quite understand the ending. I mean, it's they're kind of just saying that there's not much breakfast left downstairs and they're running out of, run out of packets of porridge and powdered milk and how the sparrow is always happy uh, and they wonder why the sparrow is always happy. The, the sparrow has just woke them up. Speculate it's probably because of its diet of worms. And Victor says he'll probably have to go on that diet just to make him happy. And, and he says something quite dark. What the point is in living? It doesn't seem to get you anywhere, does it? That's that sparrow. He seems happy enough. And all he ever does is eat bits of burnt toast and a few worms. He's still got plenty to sing about, obviously. He says, I wonder what the point of in living is. It doesn't seem to get you anywhere. And he does just say it with some humour, but in Victor, Victor humour, that is. Get in each night feeling as right as rain. By the time I get up, you'll feel absolutely terrible. <laughs> Pure ritual. And how going to bed can be pointless, because you generally go to bed feeling fine, and when you, when you, you wake up, you're feeling crap. The conversation ends on breakfast, essentially, and one can read into Margaret saying, perhaps we can open a new can. I don't know if she means a can of worms in in an analogy sense of opening a new can of worms. Start a new day tomorrow where we'll get ourselves into all sorts of all sorts of day to day trouble, which although it's a, a faff opening a can of worms in this, not in the literal sense. At least it's it's living life. And Victor responds to that line of, yes, we always seem to, as in we always seem to open a new can. And to me, that's just what I just said. It's a, a new beginning, a new start. We'll probably open a new can of worms, hence the sparrow reference of its, what its diet is. And that ends the episode. So yeah, superb episode with a huge... I say a huge reveal, but quite a very dark and sad reveal. I, I always appreciate the episodes where it gives you a little bit of background to the main characters. And it's it's a big reveal, but it's so subtly and cleverly written that it, in a roundabout way, hard to follow. Because it's like you're joining in part of a conversation. They're referencing a Glynis and a Michael that you've never heard of before. And you're assuming that you don't know they're just friends or, or just co-colleagues, but they obviously are close family friends. I think when you're watching this as a, young, a very young kid like I was when I first watched this episode, didn't quite take on board what was being said. It's only when you watch it in later adulthood that you realise, okay, yeah, I, I get what they're saying. And, and some of you reminded me that, yeah, they did have a family. When I started this podcast, I couldn't quite, I just couldn't recall. Uh, and it's, just, it's sad, really, because it's quite a big deal. And to not remember that, I was sort of kicking myself. But yeah, end of series two. Can't believe it. Thank you all for your loyalty. We've got Christmas special coming up in the next week or two. Uh, that's titled The Man in the Long Black Coat, starring Python star Eric Idle, singer, songwriter of the 
theme tune, which is uh, very fitting. But yeah, quick summary. So we've had these episodes, these episodes of series two. I would say this episode was my favourite. And if I just have a least favourite, it would be the opening uh, episode. We have put her in the living tomb. Sorry, that's not the opening one. That's the second episode. I think it's because the opening was quite different and quite quite a different feel to series one. So it, was, it got off to a really good start. But that second episode, I think it was more of a calm down, take a step back kind of episode. Although they were, they were moving on in life with decorating their house and stuff. But I think... The plot of the turtle, again, relevant to the opening credits, the tortoise turtle. Um, it's just the plot itself wasn't that great, in my opinion. It was still f- some funny, funny lines and funny moments, but it was going by overall quality. Uh, that is for me the least, my least favorite. This episode, definitely my favorite, and especially with the highs and lows throughout this well, there's there's little, little to no highs. It's it's quite quite a dark ending, thought provoking. That's for sure. Some funny misdemeanors. One or two hilarious slapsticky moments involving Victor. And yeah, I think it's a work of art. One Foot the Podcast will be back with the makeover for Series 3. It's pleasing to say that at last, the podcast artwork, which I'm sure uh, you'll all have noticed, is, well, it's crap. Uh, it was all, it was done, obviously, by me. Who else? Um, on my computer. In the most amateurish way possible. Somebody I'm acquainted with through the world of podcasting was kind enough to offer his services. Uh, I'm going to give him a shout out. Carl with a C, Carl Bryan. Uh, just the sheer generosity of the general public is overwhelming at times. So a big thanks to Carl uh, for sending over a much superior quality and appearance of artwork. You're a true friend of the One Foot in the Podcast family. Uh, check out his Twitter. It's at Mr. Carl, Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R, and you'll see what kind of stuff he gets up to in the podcast and creative world. I will update the artwork ready for series three. So I'm keeping the crappy one I've got now until we start afresh. It's time for Meldrew Moan. Oh, I do not Will you look at this? Bastards! Can you believe the nerve of this? I'll skin the ruddy height for them. Last week I moaned about how hard it was to eat foods without too many carbs in it. And I've been going to making a conscious effort to reduce my carb intake. So I've obviously uh, fallen flat on my ass since then. Although I've been eating white bread, very seedy, whole grain, healthier bread. But things like crisps, I've been very much consuming potatoes. But this week's moan. The moan about a vegetable box, fruit and veg box delivery we had. It's not the most trivial thing, but if we order a fruit and veg box, I think one of the most common pieces of vegetable you want in there is an onion. And we had no onions. And that absolutely, it rolled me in the sense that I was going to cook something which very much needed onions. The dish would have been fine without it, but I like onions. And I just couldn't believe fruit and veg delivery didn't have something as basic as as an onion so we end up going to budgeons to spend over the odd prices and to to add salt to the wound the fruit and veg delivery took the whole bleeding day to get here i know these times are a bit tricky with deliveries but uh that is that i certainly had a whinge the other day so my missus uh unfortunately had the brunt of it but if you're gonna do fruit and veg i know the nature of fruit and veg boxes will come with random things picked by the farmer or the, by the supplier, but oh, come on, there's not a shortage of onion supplies in this country. Stick a stick a couple of uh, red or white onions in there. You got a happy customer, and it's, it makes matters worse when you there's one or two things they don't like. Well, my missus likes, but for example, if they stick in a I don't know a courgette ugh, or 
a mango. It is a gamble. You you you, you know what you're signing up for, but you just expect that. It'd be like them not putting potatoes in there. You see, that's like the basics. You want that's like the center of everyone's diet. Well, I've seen trying to cut it out of mind, but you know what I mean. That's my Meldrew moan in the short and sweet, or short and savory in this case. Tell me your Meldrew moans. I'll happily air them on your behalf. Who knows? If you come on to the show, Series 3 onwards, you'll be getting involved with Meldrew Moan. You can vent whatever you like about, within reason, of course. I'll be back with the Christmas special soon. Then we'll be on to Series 3. Getting quite excited and in disbelief at the same time that it's not long till I'm halfway through the series. It's fantastic. Please uh, send me a review. It really it will help with the algorithms, as they say, for people to discover this show who may not realise it even exists. I'm the only dedicated, at the time of recording, One Foot in the Grave podcast out there, so let's try and get a bit of momentum built. If, you, if you've if you listened to an episode or two, just if I'd be really, really grateful, uh, a five-star review would be wonderful. But constructive feedback also accepted. You can email the podcast at onefootinthepodcast at gmail.com. You'll find me on Twitter at onefootinthepod. And also... There is a Facebook group, One Foot in the Podcast. It's not very active, but I'm trying to get a little bit more activity and more content posted on there, so please get involved. If you're a member of the One Foot in the Grave fan groups elsewhere on Facebook, I'm starting to post in there a little bit more just to uh, interact with you guys and girls. Thank you very much for listening. Take good care, and I shall speak to you next time. One Foot in the Grave